All right. Dear Jesus, we thank you for this amazing opportunity we have to gather together today to be inspired by your story through Scripture. Through each one of our lives, as we celebrate Advent together today, we just ask that each of us be infused with your hope, your peace, your love, so much so that it would overflow to those around us um, as we be your hands and feet, as we bring your kingdom of heaven to earth all around us every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. That went from like lots of conversation to silent really fast, but I've got a lot to do today, so I had to... Had to get us started. So, I, uh, as usual, like to start with a story. Amy and I, man, when we were first married, Mia was just a little baby, and we had, like, no money. So we had to budget everything down to, like, the dollar. And we had this, one of those little plastic receipts kind of office supply deal that had the little pockets inside that had everything for the budget, like, and it was cash. So here's our grocery money, here's this, this is the only amount we have. And I went grocery shopping for us, and instead of just pulling the grocery money out, I'm like, this is perfect, it's like a purse, I'll just take this with me, our entire month's budget for everything in here. And I go grocery shopping, and I get home, and where is, where's the pocket folder? Like, where is this thing? This is all our money for the whole month, like, I can't find it anywhere. And I'm like, oh, I must have left it at the grocery store at Cub Foods. There's no way it's going to be there anymore. And I'm like panicked. I'm like, well, I'm just, I got to go look. Like if someone's dumb enough, this is the money for the whole month. And so I go and I look at the carts and there's nothing there. And I find someone at the store and they're like, yeah, good luck. There's no way that that's going to be here. And I find one other person. I'm like, I'm going to ask another employee. And he's like, let me just check the office and see, and he comes down, there's like, there's nothing in the office. But an other employee overheard and was like, no, no, I just stuck something up there. Like someone just turned in the same thing. Let me go grab it. So they run upstairs, they come down, and it's there. And all the money is inside. Like it's not anything was taken out. And I just remember this, this sense of relief. Just like, oh my God, I almost screwed this up completely for us. I don't know if you've ever lost something important. Now this was just... <laughs> money for the month so like the next set of food the other stuff but it was important and I was panicked and I wanted to find this I remember another time there's two other times I had lost my wedding ring once was in the ocean and you can only look for so long there once was somewhere in the house and I turned that house inside out I'm like this is the second time I've lost this dumb thing no there's no way it was never found um but I am someone who loses crap so easily. Like, I'll have something in my hand, and three seconds later, I'll be like, it's not in my hand. Where did it go? And I'll start tearing things apart until you finally find it weeks later when you're like, oh yeah, that's a legitimate spot I put that. Like, why didn't I think about that? Why it's there. This morning, I woke up really wanting to read a certain author. I've got one of those devotional books. They write 30... 365 days a year, so there's, you just grab today's and you read it, and it's something that brings me peace, and I it go right, I have a spot for it now. I've got really good at finding spots for things. I'm just putting them anywhere, and I go to the spot, and I grab it, and I grab another one that's with it. I'm like, ooh, I want to read this one too. I'm just going to chill out with some coffee. I got everything done already for today, so I can just relax. 
as I'm walking with this, my timer goes off to get the Bloom coffee pot, the next batch ready. I do that. Then I'm like, where did I set that book? I looked seriously 10 minutes away. This is funny because this is my story this morning about losing things, and now I can't find this stupid book anywhere. And I actually started getting a little like, seriously, where is this thing? I want to find it. And so I just finally had to give up, pray, relax, laugh about it a little bit, and be like, I guess it's just part of the story and your life, Luke, of forgetting things. But there's something to this desperately looking for something lost. And the celebration when you actually find that stuff, uh, that is so fulfilling and amazing. I remember one thing I was looking for a couple weeks ago, ended up in a bag I brought back from your house from the game night that had that apron you wanted me to wear for something. I'm like, this is where I stuck that thing? Oh. Anyway, it felt so good to find something I've lost. I still hope someday that that wedding ring turns up at the house. I'm like, this is where it was. And it will probably be in a spot I should have looked already, even though I searched for years for that thing and it wasn't there. <laughs> I, I do have that. I've got to get that back to you. Um, it's lost. You're going to be looking for me like, where did that apron go? And one day, three years from now, I'll give it back to you. And you'll be like, oh, Luke had it the whole time. Since I'm on the story roll, I went to Friendsgiving with some coworkers uh, about a week ago. Exactly a week ago, last Sunday. It was fantastic. We were all there uh, just cooking great food eating, laughing. And all of a sudden, there's this old man there. He's late 60s. I shouldn't say old man. Uh, Brian's getting close to that. There's a guy in his late 60s there. Uh, But he's different than everybody else. He doesn't, it's obvious he doesn't belong to anybody. He's not someone's friend. He's not someone's family member. He's not. He's a little rough around the edges. He's quite the character. But I couldn't figure out, like, who this guy was. And other people are like, who, who? And still, I have no idea how this guy got there. But he was just in the midst of Friendsgiving, just having a blast. And we were having a blast with him. And the only thing I can think of is someone met him along the way that day and just brought him with. And all I could think of was, like, how Jesus is this? That this guy that no one knows whatsoever just finds his, his way to the absolute middle of the table for Friendsgiving and is just telling stories, is laughing, is having a blast. It just seems so much like some of these stories in Scripture. Um, I want to I talk about, about another Luke story from Luke in the Bible today. Uh, we've gone through a couple the last few weeks. Uh, and we kind of started our Advent last Sunday. Um, Looking at this, this beginning of Luke, he starts this story saying, I felt it important to tell my version too. Like I know other people have written the accounts of Jesus, but I just wanted to share my story, what happened, and how important that was even for our community. Like we just needed to, to tell our story, to do it different, to, to do our, what we felt was right for here and this time and this place and these people to do church. And then he tells, he gives the accounts of four different people and what they're expecting from Jesus. And this was last Sunday's message. This is Mary and uh, Simon and um, John the Baptist. And there's this, this beginning of Luke where he gives these expectations of the coming Messiah and, the, and what they're looking for. And if we fast forward in Luke to Luke like 15, um, 
And can someone get me one of the Bibles at the back? I actually forgot mine this morning, and I'm going to need that. Uh, we fast forward to Luke 15. He explains us a little bit of who Jesus is that is important as we're celebrating Advent together. Such a rock star. It begins, Luke 15, it says, By this time, a lot of men and women of doubtful reputation were hanging around Jesus, listening intently. The Pharisees and the religious scholars were not pleased, not pleased at all. They growled. He takes in sinners and eats meals with them, treating them like old friends. Actually, I have um, a slide for this. They're ticked because he's, he's hanging out with people that they think are lower than them, that they think are sinners, disreputable, whatever. Why is Jesus hanging out with these folks? It's like this guy who ends up in the middle of the party and you can tell everyone's like, who is this dude and where did he come from and why is he here? Except when it comes to Jesus, they're ticked because there's this performance that should allow you to be around someone of, that says that they are of God, following the divine, following the spirit. And Jesus finds himself with people that they would not put in that box, and they're ticked off. And so then in Luke 15, Jesus tells this parable that explains this heart of God. It's right after this, we'll come into this, he, he, it triggers this story. It actually, a set of three stories he tells to these grumbling religious leaders who are ticked because of the, the quality of people he's hanging out with. And in these three stories, it tells us a ton about what the heart Father God, the divine, looks like. Just abundant in grace and goodness. This, this heart that longs for happiness and joy for every single one of his kids, for every single part of his creation. And really to me, there's nowhere in Scripture that illustrates grace more perfectly than these three parables that he gives right in a row. And it's the only time in Scripture that Jesus tells three in succession that are pretty much saying the same exact thing to truly try to get our mind around this, to wrap it around. He's like, I'm just not going to say this once. I'm going to triplicate this in different forms. to just beat it into you how amazing and loving I am. And so, I'm just going to read it today, if that's all right with you. So Jesus responds with a parable. Wouldn't every single one of you, if you had a hundred sheep and lost one, leave the ninety-nine in their grazing lands and go out searching for the lost sheep until you found it? When you found this lost sheep, wouldn't you hoist it up on your shoulders, feeling wonderful? And when you go home, wouldn't you call together your friends and your neighbors and wouldn't you say, come over and celebrate with me because I found my lost sheep. This is how it is in heaven they're happier over one sinner who changes his way of life than they are over the 99 good and just people who don't need to change their ways of life. And this is the first story of the three. And the thing that's interesting is at the beginning he says, wouldn't every single one of you do this? And it, they wouldn't. It's not the obvious choice to leave the flock to go after the one. This is not something that a shepherd would do. He wouldn't be like, oh yeah, I'm abandoning all 99 of my sheep. If a wolf took this one, and he's in the woods, yeah, I'm going to go after this one, and now the rest of the pack's going to come in and eat, eat my flock. No, this isn't what they would do. This is not normal to what's going on around them. And especially the Pharisees and how they're acting, he is slapping them in the face. 
about those who find themselves at the bottom, those who find themselves at the bottom of this story. And so he starts with the story of 99 to 1. One is lost of the 99. And heaven rejoices, it says, and throws a party. And the second story says, imagine a woman who has 10 silver coins. Coins is a bad word here for us. I don't think we get this. I don't think we get the 99 sheep either. I don't know, we're not sheep herders. Matt collects rare rats. He's got a whole bunch of them. If one of the rats was missing, Lindsay would definitely want him to find it. Uh, gold bricks. Imagine like heavy 10 gold bricks. Ryan's got, there's a guy named Ryan who's got 10 gold bricks. Or we'll use Alexa since it's a she. I don't want to take the she out of the story. She loses one. So she, doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the whole house and search diligently for this coin until it's found. And when she finds it, doesn't she invite her friends and neighbors over and say, celebrate with me. I've found the silver coin that I've lost. Can't you understand that there's great joy in the presence of all God's messengers over even one sinner who changes his way in life? And he tells a third story, and he gets a little bit deeper into this. Because up until now, it's been a change your way, a change your way of life. He says, there's this man who had two sons, and one day the younger son came to his father and said, Father, eventually I'm going to inherit my share of your estate rather than waiting until you die. It's just so long, I don't want to wait till you die. I want you to give me my share now. And so the father liquidated his assets and divided them, and a few days passed, and this younger son gathered all his wealth and set off on a journey to a distant land. Once there, he wasted everything he owned on wild living. He was broke. And a terrible famine struck the land, and he felt desperately hungry and in need. He got a job with one of the locals who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. This young man felt so miserably hungry that he wished he could eat the slop the pigs were eating. And nobody gave him anything. So he had this moment of self-reflection. What am I doing here? Back home, my father's hired servants have plenty of food. Why am I here starving to death? I'll get up and return to my father and I'll say, Father, I have done wrong. Wrong against God, wrong against you. I've forfeited any right to be treated like your son. And I'm wondering if you'd treat me as one of your hired servants. So he's got a plan. He's got a speech he's going to give. But I want you to take note here, this speech is not because he actually thinks he did anything wrong and feels bad. He's hungry. And no one will give him any food. And he's like, what am I going to do about this? I'll go back. At least the servants get a ton of food. There's no humble heart here. There's no, like, God really did screw up. He's like, I, I need a plan to get, get food. Just get back in with dad and at least be a servant. Because he's going to be ticked. He's going to need this sentence to even get me into this thing. I need to give some kind of apology. Because I should have already been stoned, pretty much. I'm definitely an outsider in the family. So I'll give this speech... I screwed up before you and before God. Take me back in, please. So he's got his speech prepared. I think it's interesting because it doesn't just tell us the speech later. It shows us that he's got this prepared remark that he's ready to give this, like, this will at least get me back in. But it's not coming from his heart. This is coming from his stomach. Okay, where do I find myself? So he gets up and he returns to his father. But says, the father looks off in the distance and sees the young man returning. He felt compassion for his son and he runs out to him, enfolds him in an embrace, and kisses him. 
The stern starts going into this prepared speech he made earlier. Father, I've done terrible wrong against God and against you. I've forfeited my right to be treated as your son. But the father ignores him completely. He turns to his servants and says, Quick, bring the best robe we have and put it on him. Put this ring on his finger and shoes on his feet. Go get the fattest calf and butcher it. Let's have a feast and celebrate because my son who was dead is alive again. He was lost and has been found And so they had this huge party. Now the man's older son was still out in the field working. He came home at the end of the day and heard music and dancing. And he calls one of the servants over and asks them, what's going on? And the servant says, your brother has returned and your father has butchered the fattest calf to celebrate his safe return. The older brother got really angry and refused to come inside. So his father comes out to him. Again, the father is the one chasing the son. And he pleads with him to join the celebration. But the son argues back, Listen, all these years I've worked hard for you. I've never disobeyed one of your orders, but how many times have you ever given me a little goat to roast for a party with my friends? Not once. This is not fair. So the son of yours comes, this wasteful delinquent who has spent your hard-earned wealth on loose women. And what do you do? You butcher the fattest calf from our herd. And his father replies, My son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. Isn't it right to join in the celebration and be happy? This is your brother we're talking about. He was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Listen again to this response to this older son. My son, you are always with me, and all All that I have is yours. These three stories are Jesus' response to why he's eating and celebrating and hanging out with people that the religious elite thought weren't good enough to be a part of even being in his presence. He shows us a glimpse of God that it doesn't matter how many Or how few the number, if any are missing, if any seem to be lost, if any don't seem to be right, whether older son or young, the father comes running and is pleading and is wanting them to join the celebration of what's going on around him. This is an Advent story. This celebrating of the time that the father came and ran to us and embraced us, and now wants to celebrate this homecoming, this reuniting, this us together with him again. And there's moments that we might be the one who's wandered and feels like God is far away from you. And you just can't feel yourself coming back. Someone from Bloom that hasn't been here in a couple months texted me this last week saying they missed everybody, but they feel so horrible that they've been gone so far that they just can't face coming back again. They can't look people in the eyes. Like, people are going to be so pumped to see you. Life happens. We get busy. We wander. We do things. But he doesn't see the celebration that's going to come if he comes back. Jesus tells us a story because he really wants us to know what God is like. And each story progressively moves towards a deeper understanding of the Father's great love and this grace that he has for all of us. 
And this last story of this son and this father gives us such a picture that just, to be honest, just trumps anything else in Scripture. Any, any stories that any person propping themselves up as religious today, you, you treat it against this father and son story and you've got something else. Now, although this week I did read some commentaries on this, which are interesting, that, oh, he was so repentant and confessed to his father right away, and you're like, are we reading the same story? Like, like, and it's so important that the repentance was there and that this confession to his father, otherwise we won't have this. And that's the most important part of the story. And you're like, you are drunk on your ego. That it's something we do that brings us back to God. And you missed all the times the father is the one running. The dismissal of this rot speech that is supposed to get him pity and become a servant and this embrace, this stop everything we're doing and let's celebrate. His response is amazing because it's the exact opposite of what most Jewish fathers not only maybe, maybe would do, but what they were supposed to do and what culture said you should do if something like this happens. You don't embrace you make sure everyone knows like oh he's not with us anymore like that's an outsider. they were very good at shunning the trouble and so jesus tells the story he's like we don't shun the trouble we embrace it and we don't just embrace it we get the biggest fattest cow we go to the market and we get we don't just get the biggest steak the one that barely fits on the grill but the one that's got like too much fat like going through it and then we put a little butter on top of that and then we put it inside of a duck and then we put it inside of a turkey and then we bake it and then <laughs> Like, we're just going to do it as big as possible. And even just the killing the fatted calf is such a reference to Jesus, this huge sacrifice for a celebration to be given for someone else. We're sacrificing our best for celebration so that each and anyone who's wandered or is lost, who didn't even think that they belonged any longer, would realize that there's the best celebration waiting because this is what kind of joy we're talking about. And my story at the beginning of finding our money for the month pales in comparison to this. My losing my wedding rings twice is nothing compared to this. I've never had a son or daughter run away. I don't know what that feels like to wonder, are they out there? Are they still around? Are they not around? Is there something I did to make them not want to be around me? I have no idea what that feels like. But Jesus shares this story that God is in pain when there's something away and that he spends his time looking after it. He'll leave the 99 good in search of just one of us. In our time of celebrating Advent, celebrating being together, we have to realize that he's always looking. The good son that was always with him that could have been celebrating at any moment The moment he felt uncomfortable coming in, the Father even comes out to him. There's no moment in your life that he is not coming after you, ready to embrace and ready to be like, let's celebrate that we're together. There's no pig sty you could get into that is nasty enough that he's not running after you. There's no high throne, high mighty attitude of thinking you're better than everyone else, that he's not there to help coax you down, give you a hug return this love to you. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that love never gives up. Oh, I thought I had a slide for that. Uh, it's this whole chapter of all these things that love is, and if we really think that God is love, this is a chapter, 
rapture. Dry mouth. A chapter that is describing God. And it says that love never gives up. He never gives up on us. And it's not just till he finds you and then he's done. No, he wants you to be a part of this celebration. He wants you to be a part of something more. He doesn't ever want you to be even outside the door wondering if I should come in, what's going on. God seeks and then he celebrates. He seeks and he celebrates. Every one of these stories is the story of search. We're not the ones searching for God. He is searching to help us feel more comfortable, make us feel that we're a part of something bigger. But there's always celebration. Every one of these stories. If I did not come home when I found the envelope full of our cash for the month and call all my friends and be like, you're coming over, let's throw a party. Like me and Amy were pumped. I could tell on Amy's face at the beginning, she's like, I don't even remember this story. And so that's how memorable that loss was. The guy who loses the sheep, he calls all his friends. The lady who loses the coin, he calls all his friends, or she calls all her friends over to celebrate. The man whose son has come home, he calls all his friends to celebrate. I've seen fathers that have been reunited with kids that have, things have been a little off. And then I've seen a bigger party. I was at a, a wedding recently where one of these happened. And the father's friends are there. And you can tell that the father's friends did not celebrate this reuniting. That there must have been enough talking behind the scenes that there's something still sour here. Even though this relationship is being mended and there's things patched up and we're at a celebration of a wedding, there's still this underlying, well, this isn't really how things are supposed to look or what they're supposed to look like. This society's pressure to be like, really, should we be? Have we lost... Some of the art that generations of followers before us have had in celebration and making sure that we are having a good time and entering into a celebration with God. There's times to feast and celebrate and be happy and stir something merry on the inside of us. And there's times like um, Easter when we take a pause in our calendar to reflect on suffering of those around us to enter into the suffering that Jesus takes. But there's Advent season which says, let's pause and let's party. Let's fill ourselves with Mary that will soak into us, that will last the whole season long. I was reading an article about Minnesotans and seasonal depression because of, of not enough sunshine. But they said that our bodies are wired in a way that if we actually got enough sunshine in the summer... It would carry us through the winter. Your body will store it away so that you have enough of it. But we don't even get enough sunshine in the summertime. We're so indoorsy now. This celebration of Advent reminded me of that. Like, we should soak up this party so much it just lasts all year long. And it's right before the dark of Minnesota. So it's the best time to get jolly and to hang out and have a good time. Our Christmas party is Saturday, right? I'm not... This Saturday, Liz's house, we're going to be... Christmas partying it together. That's the night we eat extra slices of apple pie. That's a callback to another sermon. If you missed it, you missed it. Um, the Bible is this set of stories of people's liberation from exploitation and domination. 
it's just over and over and over again, more and more stories of people that are down and out, that someone is on top of, that just feel like their mistakes have gotten them into this complete mess. And there's this liberating king who just comes no matter what's going on. And he says, let me just pull you out of this. And it's not just let me just pull you out of this and I'll put you on the side and kind of hide you for a while until all my friends forget all the mistakes you've made. He's like, I'm calling my friends and they, I want them to know what's going on. I want them to know that how much I love you, how much I'm proud of you, how much I'm so excited that you're back right now. God is chasing every single one of us. And we don't have to wait for him to come back again someday to this, this sentence that the father says to this older son, I am always with you and all that I have is yours. This sentence has plagued me the last year. In a good way, though. Like it's stuck to me like gum under a shoe. Like it's, it's just there. Like I, I, it just keeps showing up when I, when I need it, but you don't want it. You're like, yeah, I want to wallow for a little bit. And you're like, no, no. It's not this, I need God to show up. God has shown up. I don't need him to give me peace. That peace is ready. I just got to step into it. And sometimes wanting a dramatic story to tell people or whatever can hold us back from even just going right back in. My worrying this morning for the book, I'm like, that book is, gets me in the mood. Like, I'm relaxed. It's, it's amazing. Like, I don't need any of that. All I was in my mind is I'm always with you and everything I have is yours. And I sit down and I smile and I just soak in being with God in the moment this morning before all this shows up. This growth process, this following Jesus, this seeing our life reflected more like he is. It involves these repeated recognition of need, our independent spirit that we have, and this returning to God the Father in faith that he's good and will provide for us. It's not just a returning, it's a realizing that he's right there chasing. It's just a turning and realizing he's right there. We need God to be part of our life. As much as I think of how passionate I can be about kids and hunger and social justice issues. There's, there's only so much social justice you can have without this divine spirit whose heart longs after that. If it's just a plea and just us trying to do it, or if, if, if the spirit that holds all this together, the creator of the universe, his heart beats for this, then there's some power behind it. There's something more. There's something amplifying and unifying and propelling us towards this. But it's me realizing my independence and wanting to say, let me do this on my own, God. Let me just go out and show you. Like, I'll show you how to do it. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh God, I've, messed, I've gotten myself into a mess again. Like, maybe I should do this with you. Maybe it's just realizing that you are always with me and I don't have to prove anything to anyone. I don't have to prove to you that I can do this all on my own without God. I don't have to prove to anyone we're in such a society that's this like white picket fence. Like, let me show you how I build my mansion and my fence and I'll get everything perfect and then I'll show you how good it is. And then you can say like, well done, Steve. Man, I've been trying and you beat me. You beat me to that. We played Monopoly the other day. That's the whole game. Like, who gets all the money and crushes everybody else? And let me show you. 
That is not spirituality, but it creeps in. We need to realize that we just need to... I, the call should always be, I couldn't have done this alone. I needed God. And not just I couldn't have done this alone, I needed God. I needed each and every one of you. Because this celebration isn't just God and his son. He calls his friends and his family. He calls everyone together because we're in this together, all of us. It's all of us partaking in this celebration. All of us there that are going to help that son feel like he's wanted and he's needed and there's something amazing going on. So I invite you to celebrate as a community, to see your butt in that seat as more than just a butt in a seat, as an aura, as a vessel of God's love and celebration, as a hug that can change someone's week around when we show up together and when we celebrate, when we're doing Advent together, that your participation is just as important, if not more important, than this little primer, this little story, this little pep talk that we get at the beginning. Because I can say something and you're like, ooh, I should, that's cool, that inspires me, and then someone can do something for you. Listening is one thing. Feeling and experience the presence of God working through one of your brothers and sisters sitting around you is so different I can say something and something is moving to me. And then that same thing that we've been talking about can happen to me. I can lose it in a hug and brine. Just start crying and not even realize that there's tension that just got melted away because there's healing in community and love like this. And so as we are growing together, it's going to be this independent spirit vying against just giving in that we're in this together, we're in this with God, that he's doing something, and we need him to be among us moving. Let's call our friends. Let's call our family. Let's celebrate what's going on around us. He wants us to share in his joy and in his celebration. Let's not be shy to invite those who are different than us into gatherings, even if they are intimate friend groups or family groups. Because even though something felt just a little weird at the beginning of Friendsgiving last week when everyone was trying to figure out, who is this guy that showed up? It just felt right as the night went on. And it, 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 I think it added to the atmosphere of something beautiful, a celebration, something is going on here. Let's pray, and I want to talk about this then as we discuss and got some interesting discussion questions to go about. Jesus, we just thank you for an opportunity to celebrate together, an opportunity to be filled during this season of Advent, to be filled with your joy, to be filled with a hope for tomorrow, a hope in the person sitting to the left and the right of us, in front of us and behind us. Help us to always remember that you are always with us. There's no leaving. There's no I forgot about you. There's no you distanced yourself from me. You're always with us. And not just that everything that you have is ours and available to us. As we talk about this, as we think about it, as we're reminded and forget and try doing it on our own and then we're reminded again, we just ask that each of us experience your love in a new and a tangible way today that just fills us, that allows us to not just make it through winter with huge smiles on our face, but propels us this whole year Till we meet again for Advent next year. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.